Welcome to the Best Science Medicine Podcast, BS without the BS. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 550th episode of the Best Science Medicine Podcast. My name is James McCormack, and I'm a professor with the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia. I'm Mike Allen. I'm a family doctor and the director of practice support at the College of Family Physicians of Canada. I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of Alberta. And some people uh, we may have noticed that we haven't done a premium podcast in a while. Now, some mean people have said we've never done a premium podcast. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they need to uh, lower their expectations about yeah. what qualifies. Because exactly. for us, it's just the title. Yeah. It's a, it's a premium yeah. because we've titled it as such. Yeah. Nothing else will really follow. No, no, exactly. So we're going to talk about... Uh, an, yet another new uh, lipid-lowering agent. And uh, the, the reason we're going to talk about this is there's an interesting story around how data is being presented and so on. And so that's what we thought we'd do. But Mike, you're going to sort of just get, you're going to work us through the, the, the original study first off. Right. The first study, which was published in New England Journal this year. Mm-hmm. And it's a double-blind RCT, like you'd expect. Mm-hmm. And it's in... Um, in quotation, statin intolerant people, there were still people on statins, um, about almost a quarter of them, mm-hmm. 23%, but they were on low doses. So um, something less than uh, 10 milligrams of atorvastatin, for example, so five and 10 alternating or just five milligrams, what have you. Um, so that's the, that's the group of people. They're intolerant to statins. Mm-hmm. 13,970 of them. Uh, and you could round that up to 14 if, unless you were picky about numbers <laughs> and bemidoic acids at 180 milligrams a day, uh, was compared to placebo in a mixed population. About 30% were primary prevention and they would be higher risk primary prevention. Mm-hmm. So higher on risk scores and versus the 70% that were uh, not versus, sorry, uh, and the seventy percent that were secondary prevention. Right. The versus is versus placebo. Yeah, and in, and in case you guys are wondering, if you've never heard of this bempedoic acid, it's it's a medication that's somewhat similar the, to the statins. It 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 kind of targets, and I'm I'm, I'm going to get all mechanism on you because uh, I know how much you like that. But it's slightly different mechanism of action. But it, in fact, both of them similarly lower LDL. Yeah, they they lower LDL. And so this one lowered LDL at six months, uh, 21% um, compared to placebo. So um, that's about a fifth of um, not, 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 um, not maybe as much as with statins and stuff. Still a, still a reduction. And of course they looked at um, four point mace. So that's the usual mace stuff of, uh, cardiovascular death, uh, non-fatal MI, non-fatal stroke, and coronary revascularization. So that's the four. The general MACE is generally just three, and it's it's cardiovascular death, uh, stroke, and MI. Yeah. But um, this one added in revascularization, and that's often added as yeah. the next choice because it has a lot of events, and that and if they're discrete and they can be counted, yeah. um, so they're they're better for that. Um, So the four, what did they find? Well, it was 11.7% or um, I'm giving you the decimals here because it, it matters a bit um, and versus 13.3% in placebo. And the number needed to treat there is 64 
and over how long? That's 40 months. So just over three years. Yeah. And if you if you guys care about the relative, it's about a 13% relative difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then the, um, if you look at three point MACE, it was still statistically significant with a number needed to treat of 77. MIs, all MIs combined, so those are ones you die from, or the non-fatal ones, that was a number needed to treat of 91, and revascularizations was a number needed to treat of 72. All-cause death and CBD death were unchanged. For example, uh, all-cause death was a percent in both groups. And then, like many things, it had some harms. So hepatic enzymes were up. Um, Definition is a little, I couldn't find that. Maybe you have that, James, I couldn't find it. Um, was up with a number needed harm of 67. Renal events was uh, 35. Again, I don't, I could not find that with this. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting. So huge, these appendices and the, how they define things is not always available. Yeah, yeah. Hyperuricemia, number needed to harm of 19. Gout, number needed to harm of 100. Interesting about gout because that's mm-hmm. new for me in these, but this class is new. And cholelithiasis number needed to harm of about 100. So some, um, yeah, they're not, uh, maybe not compared to four-point mace, but gout and cholelithiasis are not great outcomes either. Yeah. So no, some, no, some no. concerning harms, but nothing uh, compared to a, about a 1.5% reduction over three and a half years. Yeah. And so, uh, and interestingly, this, this study was called the CLEAR study. And... And we're going to talk about a little bit where it gets quite messy. Uh, as yeah, well. not less clear. less clear, cloudy. Less, yeah, so so those are the exact numbers. About a one one uh, one and a half percent uh, uh, absolute reduction in, in in things that you would care about, and then and about a three percent increase in kidney impairment, and uh, about a one and a half percent increase in elevated liver enzymes. And that and what's but uh, Mike's already mentioned that it's really important to remember. It showed no difference in overall mortality and no difference in cardiovascular death. So just keep that in the back of your mind because that was the data for the entire population. Right, and then if you were a nerd and you read through the paper carefully and went and looked at their subgroup analysis, you would see that one subgroup analysis kind of stood out and that was that primary prevention seemed to have a better risk reduction, relative risk reduction of somewhere around 32%. Um, that's the, the relative risk reduction. So that's the, you know, that's your relative effect versus the secondary prevention, which was about a 9% reduction. Mm-hmm. So, and, and which was and not statistically different. Right, which wasn't statistically different. And those tested as an interaction. In other words, there was a difference between those two subgroups. And so that, most times, James, when we would see that in an article, we would go, that's interesting, but not really relevant unless it's borne out, especially something like this. Why, what's the logic between it working in primary prevention versus not working nearly as well in secondary? Like the primary prevention reduction is working like a hot dam, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a 32, that's similar to what we see with high dose statins. So it really did make me go, Hmm, that's, that's interesting, but not much else. Yeah. that the authors apparently were more impressed. Yeah, no, exactly. And and you and you have to you do have to be a bit of a you have to go look looking for that information because it wasn't mentioned in the main paper. No. And you it's literally one little bit 
on one graph in a relatively large supplementary supplementary material. And uh, and I, I, I looked at that and went, oh, that's interesting. I never thought much more of it. But, uh, but it's become much more important because of a subsequent publication, right? Yes, exactly. And you're and yeah, yeah. You wrote an article or an, a response about yeah. this and and everything that was published, I think in JAMA, and then you're going to kind of take it over to go over the yeah yeah which, which which of the two subgroups they decided to publish on <laughs> yeah well, yeah we we won't keep you waiting too long um, so uh, so another two months later after that study was published there was a in uh, June 24th of this year, uh, there was a subset uh, analysis of primary prevention participants, and that's around 4,200 people. Now, if you remember, uh, that's about a third of the entire clear outcomes trial. There are about a third of them were primary prevention. And uh, so that leaves about 9,800 who were secondary prevention. Uh, were secondary prevention. And uh, so that's the population we're looking at. We're only looking at the, the, the primary pr prevention uh, subset. So about 30% of, of those people. So uh, we're talking about 4,200 participants, average age about 68, about 60% were female. And obviously they were followed for the same period of time, about uh, 40 months. Now, if you re remember, there was about a uh, uh, about a 1.5% absolute reduction in that four-point mace. Now in this, and it was a pre-specified subgroup analysis, so I, I think you'd agree, Mike, that that's at least one right step, is that it was pre-specified, yeah. but it doesn't guarantee that, that that means the results are real. Right, and one thing that needs to be mentioned is what's happening now is everyone is pre-specifying every outcome. So yeah. if you pre-specify a thousand outcomes, as has been done in some studies, they, it doesn't really count. All that means is when we're done with the main study, we're going to go fishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. So they looked at that and they found instead of a, in the original trial, it was about a one and a half percent absolute reduction in that four point mace. In that primary prevention subset, it was 2.3%. So that's a, you know, a larger absolute difference. And it was about a 30% uh, relative difference in that. And what was also interesting is, if you remember the previous study, they didn't show any difference, statistical difference in cardiovascular death or all-cause mortality. But in this primary prevention subgroup, they found a 1.3% absolute reduction in cardiovascular death, which is a 39% relative reduction. And they also showed a 1.6% absolute reduction in all-cause mortality. So that's quite different than what the overall uh, study showed in, in the first place. And then there were the sort of similar safety findings. There was a higher incidence of gout, about a half a percent higher, uh, cholelithiasis, kidney impairment was about 3% higher, uh, hyperuricemia was about 6% higher, and about a 2% increase in elevated liver enzyme levels. And here's what I always love. So that's what the data showed. So, uh, and, and I think if, if that was real, that's fairly impressive uh, at least relative, uh, fairly impressive uh, cardiovascular benefit, wouldn't you? I think you'd agree, right, Mike? Well, a mortality benefit and things yeah. like that yeah. in, a, in primary prevention. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is... Almost unheard of. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Um, it's really quite good. Mm -hmm. but, the, but there's obviously questions, and I think you're going to get to some of them. Yeah, those. yeah, we're going to get there. So I just thought, just for fun, the, the lead investigator, a guy named Steve Nissen, uh, stated in a Medscape article, he said, these results are frankly striking. 
and that these are really large reductions. And these results are telling us that high-risk primary prevention patients, although their absolute event rate is lower than secondary prevention patients, can have very impressive relative risk reductions in major cardiovascular events with lipid-lowering therapy. And then, so I read this article and I went, oh, that's interesting. But then I went, I remembered the original trial and went, well, if this is showing such great benefit in a small subset or smaller subset of it, what the heck had to be going on in the secondary prevention? Because you can't have your cake and eat it too in this one. So, uh, and here's what was really odd. They didn't present the actual secondary prevention uh, subgroup analysis. And that's really unusual because, you know, it's it, typically you would do both. Wouldn't you have thought, Mike? Uh, well, wait a minute. But like, <laughs> so you have the secondary prevention data, but it's yes. not nearly as impressive. And, and you can imagine if you're saying that, if we're saying that the number for overall death was exactly the same at 6% in the overall population, and then mm -hmm. in this subgroup of primary prevention, death is actually down, then that can only mean one thing, that death was higher, even yeah. if it wasn't statistically higher in the other yeah, ones, yeah. because yeah. they have to balance out in the end. So there's all sorts of issues. And if I was, if I was someone who wanted uh, to impress upon others the potential importance of this new you, intervention. You're being very clever here, Mike, with your wording. I don't think, I think I would probably lean heavily into the primary prevention and yeah. um, ask the question, did someone, can someone please misplace the primary, the secondary prevention data? I just want to focus yeah. on the primary rather. Well, I know why it wasn't published. Do you want to know why? Okay, go ahead. Steve Nissen is quoted as saying, uh, it was a word limitation. <laughs> well, he can just publish a whole other article on this. Yeah. And and I, I thought that was just such a sort of a lame response because you could easily, I, I, I could have published both the primary prevention subset and the secondary in probably about 1,500 words if I really wanted to do it properly because, you know, you could give all those things. So when I looked at that, I went, certainly there must be something going on in the secondary prevention. So what I did is then I, I went, well, I have the primary prevention data and we have the overall data. So obviously the only thing that's left is the secondary prevention group. So what I, what I then did is I just subtracted the primary prevention subset analysis from the original trial results to give me the actual findings from the secondary group. And I put together a synopsis on, on a, a website that, I, I've had a, that I've used for many, many years to show the results of different studies and where, where it does sort of a statistical analysis of it. And what was really interesting is if you remove the benefits seen in the primary prevention subset and only look at those people with a history of cardiovascular disease, what is interesting is that you that four-point MACE outcome loses statistical significance. So the, the relative reduction, relative difference was point, uh, 0 0.09, but it wasn't statistically different. So uh, so in that case, it it showed that in the secondary prevention, it didn't reduce MACE. And then if you then look at the original trial, we mentioned there was no overall mortality benefit. So I wondered what, well, if there was an overall benefit in the primary prevention, what happens if you then, again, subtract those numbers? 
And well, in the secondary prevention subset, the overall mortality is uh, is higher, about a 15% relative increase. Now, it didn't quite get to statistical significance, but it certainly wasn't going uh, in the right way. And also, uh, in contrast to the primary prevention group, there was ap- uh, actually a 0.8% absolute increase in cardiovascular mortality in the secondary prevention group. Again, that threshold, it didn't quite get statistically significant, but it was certainly suggestive of uh, of an issue. And, and so... That's what is going on in that secondary prevention group. And I'm pretty sure, as you said, Mike, that would be why they didn't present that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's a, much of a mystery here. You know, you're not going to talk about your bad results. You want to talk about your best results. When you come home and give your report card to your parents, you're not going to tell them about your D mm-hmm. <laughs> result, but you're going to talk about your no. A in, uh, in, in gym class. <laughs> We may be we may be reflecting on my report card here, <laughs> but it's it, yeah. this, you know this is this is not unusual, and I think you you just wanted to shine a primary. You wanted to shine a light on the fact that yeah, you're presenting the primary analysis because it seemed to work like a hot damn. But the but the secondary is mm-hmm. also important because if it's working so well, what's happening there is you try to as you just kind of explained and the authors are of course not going to want to talk about that and it's it makes this whole thing to me very tricky to interpret because there's no way that I can explain why in primary prevention it works so well and then in secondary it doesn't it might not be working at all or raises a lot of questions and my biggest interpretation of it is this is spurious. It's just the, a fluke finding yeah. of these differences. I can't explain it any other way. And I'm sure the authors tried, but whatever physiologic explanation they've come up with is just, and, and, and now it needs to be borne out by a clinical trial, a, that, a dedicated clinical yeah, no, trial. Exactly. And I think what you're saying is true because you know, as well as I do, Mike, there, there have been some analyses that have looked at, if you do a subset analysis and find result either positive or negative, when you actually try to corroborate those with a properly designed randomized controlled trial, much of the time you don't find that difference. So that sort of supports what you were trying to say, right? Well, for sure. But it, don't forget, like in this study, and I can't remember the exact number of subgroup analysis, but often that that a graphic that you find either in the supplement or at the end of any RCT mm-hmm. is a subgroup comparison testing for what they call interaction is the other way to get around the wording of subgroup comparisons, but the, the test for interaction and then they run those, it's often 10. And every time you do that, you, mm-hmm. you have a fair chance of finding a statistically significant result that isn't real because you've just done enough statistical tests to find something, not not that it's it's uh, a real result at all. So, like if you run ten tests, on average, you're going to find uh, one that's positive forty percent of the time. Forty percent of the time that they do these ten subgroup comparisons, one of them is going to be positive just by fluke alone. Yeah. No. Exactly. 
And I think, you know, some of the other issues to think about is, you've already mentioned it, it's, it's really unusual that the medication lowers cardiovascular disease risk and primary prevention, but not at all, or at least a lot less in secondary prevention. And here's what's really important, and I would love the authors to comment on this. LDL was lowered by 21% in both groups, yet they didn't show a cardiovascular benefit in that secondary prevention. And so I think, you know, now, I know the author of the paper said, well, we never said that this drug worked because of the LDL lowering. But again, that's doesn't matter whether you said it or not. The, you know, if in those groups, they both lowered LDL by 21% and only one had an impact on cardiovascular disease, that brings into issue, was it, you know, is LDL really the issue going on here? So it gets very tricky. Now, the, the limitation of all of this is my analysis was just based on subtracting one group from another, but it really is sort of weird that they didn't publish that secondary uh, uh, analysis results. I have heard that they will be doing that. I don't know if that will have, if that will happen. I hope it does because I think it's an important thing that should be looked at it, and it will be interesting to see what sort of spin they put on that sort of data. But we just thought we'd bring you this. One, it's in, the, the original trial is an, is an interesting one, an important one, showing that this medication mm -hmm. has an effect. But where it gets very tricky is, and what brought it to our attention, and we thought you'd be interested in it, is how a subset analysis could be so challenging to interpret, and especially when you don't get all the data. Well, and it carries a ton of risk. And this, mm -hmm. and it, it also plays into our biases. We, we all, like I was joking about with the report card, we all want to talk about what went well. And tragically Hip, the hand is reported as say, or, or mm -hmm. uh, in one of their songs says, no one cares about something you didn't do. And so they're not inter, people aren't as interested in the secondary prevention thing here because it's just, it's not as impressive. So I can see why they would lean on it. But but as, as you say, James, you're kind of having your cake and eating it too. There's two mm -hmm. sides to the story. And the, and the main thing is, Rather than publishing it and debating or discussing how it could have such a profound impact on this subgroup, we need to call into question, is it real? Because mm -hmm. as you indicated, subgroups over and over again are found to not actually be truly different once restudied. Yeah. So um, anything else you want to add to that, Mike? No, that is good, James. You have uh, you've covered it expertly. No, I, I covered it in a premium way. Covered it premiumly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't think there's much else that we need to mention with this study. So, but why don't you let people know about the Pipe Conference? Right. Well, the Pipe Conference is coming up. Um, it's now available for you to register. As a reminder, the Pipe Conference is done by uh, Mike Colber and the peer group. Um, that includes people on this podcast. And uh, it's available. You can come to Edmonton. You can come and, and be in the audience um, on site, or you can attend virtually, which uh, um, slightly more of our attendees do. Mm -hmm. And uh, that conference goes October 20th to 21st. It's half a day on the Friday, the afternoon, and then most of the day on the Saturday. But uh, we'd love you to to join lots of great speakers, a great reputation for the conference and a great um, 
history of uh, very strong evaluations, uh, well-run virtuals. And so great uh, opportunity um, for your CPD learning. Excellent. So uh, I think we'll just leave it at that. So thanks as always for listening. Talk to you later. Thank <laughs> you.